the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Parents Toe. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Parents is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Parents cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Farron Stoke. Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. Today, I'm going to discuss a few things that bothered me recently. The first one I'm going to start off with is former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. She was attacking um, new House Speaker Mike Johnson for his Christianity. In fact, she stated that his political ideology should scare us. Now, what was so scary? This is what Johnson stated. He said, I am a Bible-believing Christian. Someone asked him me today in the media, and he said, that's curious, and people are curious. What does Mike Johnson think about any issue under the sun? And again, Johnson's answer it was, well, go pick up a Bible off your shelf and read it. That's my worldview. It bothers me, and bothers me quite a bit, because here's the reason. Jen Psaki is stating that his beliefs are extreme. Speaker Johnson's beliefs are not extreme. He's actually normal. Jen Psaki, though, has become so extreme that she doesn't even recognize normal anymore. And the fact that we have so many people that think like her that are in positions of power and influence demonstrates how far we have fallen as a nation, how far we've gone in the wrong direction. See, I, for one, find it refreshing that a person in government leadership actually expresses his Christian beliefs openly. And what's more refreshing even with Mike Johnson, Speaker Johnson, is that by all accounts, and this is folks who are not not his political friends, they all state this is who he really is. It's not an act. And again, that's extremely refreshing, and that's something that should really encourage people, the majority of Americans, we'll put it that way. The United States was founded on Judeo-Christian values. In fact, our second president, John Adams, wrote, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. You think about that a minute. Wholly inadequate for the government of any other except for a moral and religious people. Boy, doesn't that really explain the issues that we have currently We have so many people in positions of power and influence that are not moral or religious. If anything, they're the opposite and openly so. In fact, they attack it like Jen Psaki. And that's why these people who attack Christianity, uh, religion, morals, all those kinds of things, traditional values, that's why they hate the Constitution. John Adams said it himself. It's made only for a moral and religious people. That is the crux of the issue. Now, there's some other issues about this that bother me, and I want to bring this up because I know I, I might ruffle a few feathers, but truth is truth. And I'm going to say this. I've been an active Christian for over 30 years. I actually I faithfully served in the music ministry in my church for over 12 years, for example. So I have some credibility in this area. The problem I have with the modern church currently it is, is that, it, for the most part, it's conformed to society. You see, the sad fact is that many church leaders are now too comfortable and would rather be liked than teach the truth. In other words, they've failed to lead. And I know it's harder to stand for principles, especially when you are challenged. But, you know, no one, no one promised ministry was going to be easy. If you ever read the Bible and you read the stories of Paul, for example, you know for a fact it wasn't an easy road. Now, I was particularly disappointed recently when most churches meekly closed their doors without even a fight when governments ordered COVID shutdowns. See, in my opinion, the church should have led the fight to stay open, to stand up for their rights and stay open, because in my opinion, the government does not have the right to shut down churches. Even those that quote separation of church and state, which is, by the way, not in the Constitution or anywhere else, that's a misnomer. 
But even if you were going to go by that, what right does the government have to shut down the church? Remember, they say, even they say separation of church and state, which is incorrect. It's actually the government shall make no rules to impede or interfere with church. The rules are to impede the government from interfering. With the COVID shutdowns, of course, that's exactly what they did. Instead of the church leading the fight and standing up for their own rights to meet and, and have services, they also left individuals and the small business community alone in the fight for freedom and economic survival against the government. You see, the church could have been a strong ally of individuals and small business. Unfortunately, in most cases, they failed miserably. Now, I've read the Constitution. It's not that complicated, and if you haven't recently, I strongly recommend you do so. You can read it in about 10 or 15 minutes. Again, it's a very simple but powerful document. And in that Constitution, the federal government has no constitutional right to close churches, small businesses, or force someone to inject a foreign substance into their body to keep their job, for example. See, at best, and I mean at best, you could make an argument that states might have the right to close churches and businesses in a declared emergency, but I would still offer to say it's more tyranny, not democracy. And again, to further make my point, to make matters worse, governments often let certain businesses stay open while others had to close. In other words, they played favorites. For example, during the COVID shutdowns, I was freely able to go to Home Depot, but I could not go to the local hardware store or go to church. You see, Home Depot, what's the reason? Well, Home Depot had political influence. The local hardware store didn't. So this wasn't about protection from a virus or anything else. This was the government tyranny taking over and, and determining, playing favorites, playing winners and losers. Again, the church could have been a difference maker, but for the most part, really wasn't. And sadly, the government has made the church more irrelevant as a result. It's a commonly known fact church attendance is down and has been down for decades, to be fair, but it took a sharp decline during the COVID shutdowns. I believe, in my opinion, that that was intentional. That was something the government wanted to see happen. And sadly, the church, for the most part, fell in. And again, it's tyranny, not democracy. And that's why today, personally, I refuse to attend a church that shut down without a fight during COVID. They are hard to find, but a few do exist, and I would encourage you to be a part of that if you can find one. Now, the solution is simple. We need churches and church leaders to stand for truth and not conform to society despite the consequences. And this is important because I believe many people today, especially today, have a desperate, and I mean a desperate, craving for truth. Not the lies that the legacy media, colleges, Hollywood, and the government consistently feed us, but the truth everlasting truths don't change regardless of the society. You know, it's not going to be easy, but I believe the church has a huge opportunity to become relevant again. And that's my call for hope. Look, I'm not a minister. I'm not a church leader, but I believe I'm seeing some of this, but I do and sincerely hope and pray a real revival in church leadership, standing up for the truth becomes more common. And that would be a tremendous positive direction for our country, because I'm going to go back to what I stated earlier, and John, John Adams, our second president, quote, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. This is an important, important issue. Now, I have another very important issue that I need to cover and I guess, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and go into this. So I had, most of the time I have listeners reach out to me and, and for the most part, very positive and encouraging. And I get, sometimes I get suggestions and such and, and encouragement, mostly ideas to share with the show. And I really, truly appreciate it. Occasionally I get a response for somebody who's not so happy with the show or something that I've said. Well, that happened again recently regarding my statement that the, I, I believe that the Biden administration has assisted terrorism or helped fund terrorists. Now, the reason I said that, I'm going to explain. I'm going to clarify here. Understand, a lot of people ask me all the time, you know, this is a financially focused show. Absolutely. Why do I end up talking about policies and politics and society so often? Because here's the reality. 
Much of that affects our money, our ability to make money, keep it, grow it, pass it on to the next generation. And I'm going to make my point here a minute, so bear with me. You see, I use common sense to cut through the noise, to get to the truth. And admittedly, obtaining accurate information from public sources, particularly including media and government, has become far more difficult recently. Fortunately, I do have many private sources, as I have clients and friends literally across the country from every walk of life and every profession. It does give me an insight into what's going on with the average American and what's really going on under the hood oftentimes. And I've gotten really good at deciphering articles. Sometimes people ask me this, reading different articles, for example, or a video or whatever it may be. Particularly with an article, what I do first, I did not used to do this, but I now look at the source first before I read the article. And it's amazing how easily, 90% of the time, I can anticipate what whatever the topic may be, what their approach is going to be just by looking at the source. And you, if you go through many sources from many different places, both left, right, center, you name it, you start to get at the truth. See, that's how propaganda works, folks. If you just listen to one side all the time, you never know what the other side is thinking. And that is dangerous. And you become, you can become propagandized. You know, Joseph Goebbels, the minister for, well, minister for propaganda, really, um, Adolf Hitler, was famous for stating that if you repeat a lie often enough, it'll become truth to most people. And he was right. You know, the, this listener also told me to focus on money matters my, and not politics. Well, my discussion about well, potential Middle East war expanding has everything to do with our money and in a significant way. These are, that's why I discuss these things, because it makes a difference with our economy and our money. You know, if we do have in expanding, if the war does expand in the Middle East, I don't think I need to tell you that that's going to be bad for our economy, bad for oil prices and all of that. I'm going to go into this further, my response to this listener. And we had a correspondence back and forth, which was good. And I do want to share this because I think it'll be very educational and eye-opening for many people. But I'm coming up on a hard break, so I'm going to tell you, look, if you're interested in learning how to navigate this economic storm that we're clearly headed towards, if not already in, which I'm going to share more about this further later in the show, contact me. I can help you navigate this and help you navigate, not only navigate, but actually thrive by guaranteeing some of your funds, guaranteeing some of your portfolio from losses, reduce your market risk, reduce your tax liability, okay, increase your liquidity so you have access to more funds than you have right now without penalties or taxes or any other impediment to accessing those funds. Again, increase the rate of return on your monies or whatever investment you may have. So again, I really encourage you to contact me and stay tuned in the next segment because I'm going to finish this thought on how I responded to this listener. So don't miss him. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And as I started in the last segment, I started discussing a listener that contacted me that was upset about my recent statement regarding the Biden administration uh, supporting or, or assisting and funding terrorists. I stand by that statement, and I shared, I communicated that with them, and they did not argue my point after that. And here's why. My response really was this, because they also stated, focus on money matters, not politics. And my response was, I am focusing on money matters, because a, mid- a war in the Middle East affects our money and our economy in significant ways. First and foremost, the House of Representatives recently passed a 14 14- billion-dollar package to Israel. Now, as I stated, I'm not saying we should not support Israel. They are our allies. But what I am saying is we don't have the money. And the reason we don't have the money is the federal debt is at $33.5 trillion and counting. Therefore, any funds that will be sent to Israel will have to be printed, which will, actually, which will then further increase inflation. 
which is something we're all dealing with. Now, I also was glad to see that after that show aired that the House of Representatives, at least, have carved out the same amount of funding from the IRS to fund Israel. I believe that is a step in the right direction. I do not believe it's ideal. I would like to see less spending, but at least if they hold the line, if they fund Israel and reduce funding to the IRS, at least they're not increasing funding. So again, it's a step in the right direction. Now, whether this will pass the Senate and get signed by Biden, that I'm not certain of, and I'm sure there's going to be a battle. But again, it's a step in the right direction. What I don't want to see happen, which is what the Democrats want, they've adamantly stated, is they want to continue to fund the IRS and Israel, never spend more money, which, again, further exacerbates inflation because our government doesn't have the funds, folks. They don't have the money. They're already spending more than they receive. They have record debt already. So any extra money that's sent anywhere or spent anywhere is printed and is going to be exacerbating inflation. So that's a big deal. That's why I discuss it. Now, as far as my claim that the Biden administration is supporting and actually indirectly, at least, funding terrorists, well, it's really simple. The Biden administration released access to $6 billion to Iran. This was well known in the media recently as part of a prisoner exchange. We traded five or six prisoners that they had and vice versa. Plus, the United States released $6 billion of Iran's money that was being held because they were breaking sanctions. Okay, why do we have to do that? Why not an even swap? That just, in my opinion, shows weakness. But that's a whole nother issue. To date, the the funds, as far as we know, have not been accessed by Iran Yet there's not the funds have not been refrozen. They remain available so they could use that money or access that money at any time, potentially at this point. So that money's become available. And the argument people have is, say, well, Iran, this money has to be designated for humanitarian purposes. OK, I wasn't born yesterday and you weren't either. Money is fungible. Let's be real. Let's be real about this. Iran was going to spend some money on other things like humanitarian purposes or whatever, and now $6 billion just got freed up. That means they have more money to support terrorism. And no one argues the fact that Iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. I just watched a testimony by the FBI director just a few days ago making that very same statement. So everyone knows Iran is the number one sponsor of terrorism in the world. If you release or make funds, additional funds available, they are going to sponsor more terrorism. It's plain and simple. Whether they use those exact dollars for towards terrorism or not is immaterial. They can use those funds for humanitarian stuff, humanitarian stuff but they can then take other monies they had and fund terrorism. Come on. You know, that's ridiculous. Iran sponsors Hamas. That's a well-known fact. Even the Biden administration has, has stated that, admits that fact. And Hamas is a designated terrorist organization by the United States and many other countries. Hamas themselves stated they receive financial assistance and training from Iran. They even stated that they couldn't have done this recent attack on Israel without Iran's support financial support and training, at least not to the extent that they did. But it even goes beyond that. The Biden administration also lifted sanctions, eased sanctions on Iran, and allowed them to increase their oil exports by over 650% from the previous year. This has strengthened Iran to the tune of approximately $60 billion of additional revenues due to oil they were able to export by easing sanctions. So not only not only does Iran have an extra six billion available now thanks to this prisoner swap, but they've also been able to earn an additional sixty billion dollars over the last year by easing sanctions. And we can thank the Biden administration for all of that directly. So again, by strengthening Iran financially, the Biden administration is helping fund terrorism. I find that offensive. I am I find that horrific. Okay, this is frustrating beyond belief. So I shared these points with this listener. And to be fair, they responded back 
and change tactics. Once they changed the tactics, I knew immediately that this was a person that probably never listens to this show, maybe heard me once, because then they accused me of not supporting Israel and that I was in favor of Hamas. In fact, they used some rather graphic language about me, partly my fault that Hamas terrorists would be breaking into our, our homes and things like that. Well, that's just beyond ridiculous. And I just responded, I responded kindly that I was confused why they thought I did not support Israel because I've stated repeatedly I do. Obviously, they're not listening to the show. I fully support Israel. I do not support terrorists, and that includes Hamas. That is why I'm so frustrated by our government assisting Iran. Again, the number one state supporter of terrorism, including Hamas. Okay? And it goes even beyond that. But I've even stated about, they're talking about people breaking into homes. I, if you've listened to the show at all, you know, I don't want illegals in our country. I've called for securing our border repeatedly and deporting all illegals multiple times. See, what I find so infuriating is we have a war we're supporting in Ukraine, for example. Over $100 billion of assistance has been sent to Ukraine. Yet our own border remains wide open. And here's a point I have, frustration-wise, with the current Republican or the House of Representative aid package with Israel. Look, again, I stated I'm not against an aid package to Israel. They are our ally. I'm against spending additional money, so the carve-out against the IRS is a good trade-off. I'm okay with that. But why not do this? The Democrats want—they do not—they refuse. They refuse to close and secure the border. We are sending an aid package to help our ally, Israel, in essence, secure their border and their security. Why not tie the the two together? Say, look, fine, we'll give you the aid package to Israel. But first, you have to secure our border. I mean, for real, secure it. Shut it down. That is political compromise, in my opinion. I don't know why they did not do that. I wish they had. I hope they go on the offense and start to do those types of things because our border needs to be shut down first and foremost. See, I get extremely frustrated by having so many of these current politicians that we have so eager, so eager to spend money and send it around the world to other countries, yet will not lift their finger or provide a dime of support, close and secure our own borders, for example. Why, when did it become so difficult to support your own country and your own citizens rather than other citizens around the world? That's the issue I have with the money of many of the current leadership. And that goes with both parties. Both parties, many in both parties are guilty of this. And I find that extraordinarily frustrating. Now, the sad fact is, and this has been shown to bear out, that oftentimes sending money to other countries makes it far easier. Corruption, money laundering, all those types of things. And it's been, there's many, many sources that have shown, well, it's a known fact that Ukraine, for example, was a commonly known as one of the most corrupt countries in the world and has been for decades. And by shoveling billions of dollars into your Ukraine, I see an article that came out recently where some, some of the uh, officials said people are just stealing like there's no tomorrow. I believe them. This is a country, Ukraine, that is, that has had a long, long-term history of corruption. Why would that all stop when you're suddenly getting flooded with money like they've never seen? Of course, it's going to it's going to explode, okay? And unfortunately, some of this comes back in the form of political donations and things like that that benefit mostly Democrats and some Republicans. Many we often refer to as rhinos, because oftentimes they have Republican in name only, of course, because they often act more like Democrats than Republicans. And that, I'm sad to say, I believe is the primary reason why so many of our politicians are so eager to send money overseas to other countries yet want little or nothing to do with doing their job of actually protecting their own citizens in their own countries. These are the types of things that need to be educated. The electorate needs to understand. We need to understand this, that the folks that support all this overseas money, we need to vote them out. And again, the solution, Thomas Jefferson stated it. I've shared this so many times. He stated A well-informed electorate is a prerequisite to democracy. 
And he was so right. The electric electorate, the voters, have to be well-informed. We have to know what's going on. And if we have a politician who's eager to send money overseas, Mitch McConnell comes to mind as a great example of that on the Republican side. And frankly, just about every single Democrat fits this bill also. Mitch McConnell himself stated that aid to Ukraine was the number one issue. Sorry, I beg to differ. It's not even in the top 10 for the average American. The border and inflation are far more important. But the, the level of spending that's causing the inflation, the, the government debt, all of those things are far more important than aid to Ukraine, who's not actually even our ally. Now, I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment. I've got another thing I want to share with you, another hot-button issue that bothered me. And some of you are going to be surprised that I'm going to discuss this, but I'm going to anyway. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc, and I'm discussing some topics that have bothered me recently. And I've got another one here that initially it's a hot button issue. Many of you are going, but most people avoid this they're afraid of being labeled racist. And here's the other part of it is a lot of people are going to try to fail to understand what's this have to do with money and economics. Bear with me for a minute. You're going to see exactly how it affects our money and our economy. So recently I saw this interview. Now, I don't know their names, so I'm just going to have to say it was a black lady that was interviewing a former women's soccer national team player. And she happened to be white. Again, I don't know the names of either one of these people. Now, the former soccer player was expressing regret for her, quote, unquote, white privilege. Now, the black interviewer actually appreciated what she was saying and stated that, but then made a statement said no amount of reparations would be enough. Now, the former soccer player, she was obviously uncomfortable and just kind of laughed, but had no response. I, this bothers me, and here's the reason why. First of all, reparations involve taking money from people who are never slave owners to give to people who are never slaves. Now, how does that make any sense? It doesn't. Where do these attitudes come from? Why does the white lady feel guilty, for example? And why does the black lady feel entitled to infinite reparations? I don't understand either position, frankly. And here's part of the reason why. I'm quite confident that the former soccer player never had slaves. And I'm also pretty certain that the black interviewer was never a slave herself. Why? Well, because slavery's been outlawed in this country for over 150 years. So I don't think either one of them were around to see it. Okay? In fact, I'll bet neither of them have ever met a person who was a slave owner or slave. Ever. It's also likely neither had slaves or slave owners in their family history even. Because even when slavery was legal in the United States, for example, the vast majority of people did not own slaves, even in the South. It was a small percentage. Now, even if their answers, ancestors, let's say this female soccer player, let's assume a minute her ancestors did own slaves. Is she responsible for her past generation's actions? You know, if your parent or your great-great-great-grandparent committed murder, for example, would you have to go for jail, go to jail and pay the price for that murder? Of course not. That's silly. You see, here, here's the thing about it. Slavery has been a part of human history and a part of nearly every civilization for centuries and centuries, for thousands of years. Typically, whenever one civilization was able to dominate the, another, slavery was involved. But sadly, here's what's mostly, most sad, I, I believe. Slavery still exists today. Mostly, it's in the form of sex trafficking, which is a form of slavery that occurs here even in the United States as we speak. It has actually increased. This is stated crime statistics from the FBI and other sources that it has increased in the United States due to our open border. Now, wouldn't it be far more productive to fight sex trafficking 
than rehash old slave issues that are eliminated over 150 years ago? Wouldn't that make more sense? See, slavery was abolished in the United States in 1865. Our country fought a civil war over it, partly due to the issue of slavery. And you know, over 600,000 Americans died in that conflict. Still to this day, more Americans died in the Civil War than in any other war in the history of the country. And those Americans gave the ultimate sacrifice, their lives. And the issue of slavery for all of them was settled once and for all in the United States as a result. There was no issue after that. To dig up that issue again is to defile the sacrifice those Americans made long ago. And that was sacrifice that was made long ago to promote freedom. See, I was thinking about this a lot recently because I had the blessing to visit the Gettysburg battle site. And I spent some time there contemplating and thinking about all of these things. And one of the things I found shocking in that visit was how many of the unit markers they had on the field that showed half or even more of the men in that unit did not survive the battle. It was devastating for both sides. You know, what was so hard for me to fathom was the level of commitment that it took for those men to go into battle like that, knowing that half of them likely would not survive. And please understand, I served in the U.S. Army. I'm not a stranger to military service. But to that level of commitment and dedication, that I can't contemplate. It was a thought-provoking and somber experience. And I'm going to say, if you've never been there or any battle site like that, I highly recommend it. It will be something you'll never forget. Sadly, the reason this issue continues to be dredged up by some people, well, is it because it benefits them politically, and it's primarily Democrats and their media accomplices. That's where we hear it from almost exclusively. It gets tiring, to be honest. And the solution is this. It's to educate people who have been convinced that this is a problem and encourage them to move on. And there's two sides to this problem, as I've stated. First, need to stop feeling guilty over something you didn't do, had no control over, and was eliminated long before you were born. Why would you, why would you feel guilty over that? Why should you? Yes, it's sad. It's bad. It's part of history. But why should you feel responsible or guilty in any way? You had nothing to do with it. You had no control over it. And it was eliminated again long, long, long before you were ever born. What difference could you have made? None. On the other side of the coin, those that are blaming others and playing the victim game need to stop. What they need to do is embrace the opportunities that this country does offer and become someone they can actually be proud of instead of being victims. You see, what they need to understand, if they don't already, is no one is holding you back except yourself. If you believe these race baiters and hustlers and these people that try to convince you that you're the victim and someone else owes you reparations or whatever, you will always be a victim. You see, if more people listen to this, stop feeling guilty and stop blaming others, the politicians and race baiters would lose their power and the money and control they have over people, and then they'd stop because it wouldn't benefit them. They're the only ones benefiting from all of this. It's kind of like going to court. When you have two parties that go to court, rarely does one side win. Actually, when you go to court, there are not two parties involved. There are three. Each side has attorneys representing them. And in a long, drawn-out court battle, we all know who ultimately wins in those. Most of the time, it's the lawyers representing the two sides. Again, the longer these two sides fight, and if they have the monetary means to continue the fight, more legal billable hours go to the attorneys. And the only winners, oftentimes, are the attorneys. Well, in this whole race-baiting game, this whole pitting the white and black or whatever, the races against each other, the only real true winners in all this are the race-baiters, the hustlers, and the politicians that bring it up. They're the attorneys that are dragging this out and hoping the battle continues so they gain money, power, and control. The more people come to realize this, the more they would then lose that power, control, money, and they'd stop. And you know what would be funny? Maybe they would actually be forced to do something productive for a change. And by the way, I'm just going to leave this last thought. If you want to do something productive about slavery, you can still today fight sex trafficking. That's the current slavery issue. Those are some of the things that have been bothering me lately. Now I want to change directions 
a little because I, I read this article, and this was so eye-opening that I, I, it just had to be addressed. So Stanley Druckenmiller, he's put out an article here recently that he's really bashing or attacking Janet Yellen, the secretary, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Stanley Druckenmiller is a hedge fund titan, okay? As he stated, Yellen missed an, an important opportunity by not issuing Treasury bonds with longer dates, expiration dates, when interest rates were low. He said she was issuing two two-year treasuries at 15 basis points. She could have been issuing 10-year ones or 30-year ones at historically low levels. In other words, when a government or a company issues a bond, it's a debt instrument, and so it basically means we're going to, you buy the bond and the issuer, in this case the treasury, promises to pay you interest. Well, when interest rates were at historic lows, they should have reissued these at much, much longer terms. Like he said she had no he has no idea why she's not been called on this when she why she didn't do this because as he stated, when rates were practically zero, nearly everyone in the United States refinanced their mortgage. Nearly every corporation extended their de- debt to longer term um, corporate debt at lower rates because again the rates were at historic lows. The Treasury Department did not. This is an egregious error. It is a massive one. And he states it's the biggest error in the history of the Treasury Department, in the history of the country. And then he explains why, and I agree with him. Here's the point he makes. When these short-term Treasury bills roll over, in other words, these bonds get reissued, they're going to have to be reissued next year at much higher interest rates because the interest rates have gone up so much. He said if rates stay where they're at right now, and the Federal Reserve has recently maintained rates at the same levels until who knows when. They have stated they might. They're going to keep open the idea of raising rates before the end of 2023. We'll see. But as he stated, if the rates stayed the same, uh, expense is going to be 4.5% of GDP. In 20 years, they'll be 7% of GDP, which may not sound like a lot, but that is 144% of all current discretionary spending. In other words, the interest on the debt will expand so much that it, the interest alone will be more than the government spends on everything except for mandatory spending, Social Security, Medicare, those types of things. In other words, there will be no money left over. He's, they're predicting the annual Federal outlays are expected to swell to $10 trillion by 2033. That's 10 years from now, folks. The federal, the Fed spent $6.3 trillion in 2022. We shared this on a pre, one of the previous shows a couple of weeks ago. So, again, the federal, reserve, uh, the, uh, the federal government, I'm sorry, spent $6.3 trillion in 2022. Ten years later, it's projected with these increased interest rates. This is interest on the debt. If that number will be $10 trillion, nearly double. So the amount of spending that the federal government will be doing will be nearly double just because of the increase in interest. No more government services, nothing, just interest. Today, interest is the third largest expense in the federal government. It's more than the entire Department of Defense, and it's going to expand and balloon extensively because of higher interest rates and the failure to reissue bonds at lower rates when they could have. That is an egregious error. I'm going to discuss further in the next segment the good and the bad in the, as a result of this. This is a very, very big deal, so don't miss it. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferenc at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferenc Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. This is Ferenc. And if you were listening last segment, you know I was discussing probably the biggest mistake in the history of the Treasury Department of the United States. The information I'm getting is coming from Stanley Druckenmiller. He's a hedge fund titan, and he's absolutely correct. His point he's making, real simply, is when interest rates were at historic lows, 
the federal government could have reissued their their debt instruments, their government bonds, at longer terms at historically low rates. They did not do that. They it continued to issue them at short-term rates for the most part. It's the same analogy of you have a mortgage on your house. It's a debt instrument, a mortgage. Uh, a bond is a debt instrument for a government or corporation where you buy the bond and the government promises you pay you a certain interest rate for a certain period of time. A mortgage works much the same way. Well, when interest rates go down, most people know to refinance and lower your interest rate, as most people do it did when we had historical low interest rates. So now they're paying a lot less interest on their debt, which gives them more disposable monies available to spend on other things, lifestyle, retirement, whatever, right? Well, the government didn't do that when they had the opportunity. And as Stephen Druckenmiller is stating, the fact that Janet Yellen is not being called upon this, called on this, this, this horrendous mistake, she should be fired. I mean, terminated. This is unbelievable. Okay, it's ridiculous. Here's the point. The level of interest on the debt, as he's pointing out, if it stays at certain at current interest levels, is going to nearly double in the next 20 years. The total budget is going to nearly double from 6.3 trillion in 2022 to over tri- about 10 trillion in 10 years, and the increase, the increase from 6 to 10 trillion is all interest on the debt. Imagine a situation, if you will, for a minute, 10 years from now, right now, let's put it this way, this last fiscal year, 2022, I've shared this on previous shows, the federal government spent almost a trillion dollars on interest on the debt. They spent a total of $6.3 trillion, okay? Well, imagine a scenario about 10 years from now where the government's spending $10 trillion a year and half of it is interest. That is what Stephen Druckenmiller is talking about. What do you think our economic situation is going to look like in the next decade when the government likely could be spending half of their revenues or half of their spending? They don't, even, they don't receive that. They only receive about $4 trillion a year. So, again, they're, they're spending about $2 trillion more than they receive. We, again, discussed this in one of the previous Your Personal Bank shows. Think about that a minute. What do you think is going to happen when instead of roughly 15 20% of total uh, spending is on interest, now it's 50%? Put that in your own budget for a minute. Think about if you were earning, and I've shared this before with the show I did with uh, interviews I've done before with some you know truth in accounting and stuff, maybe you've heard, and the analogy that they shared was the government is receiving 40000 a year in income and spending seven. 70,000 a year in income. So in other words, they're, they're borrowing 30,000 a year income. Now you add some zeros and it's all trillions, but you see my analogy, my point. That doesn't work very long. But think about if you went forward, let's throw some inflation and all that. Let's say the government's receiving five, five trillion in revenues in the next decade, but spending 10 because they have five trillion dollars of interest payments because the debt has continued to expand and the interest, of course, has ballooned. Instead of refinancing their debt, the bonds at low interest rates, when they were historically low, they're now paying the current higher rates. What will that do to interest rates across the board on everything we deal with? How will that affect our economy? What will that do to inflation? You know, one of the largest drivers of inflation is government spending and government spending too much. This will have economic consequences. I don't believe most people can even fathom. Certainly nothing that this country has ever faced. I've stated this before. We've seen two scenarios. The Truth in Accounting interview addressed both of these. Is the two likely scenarios are hyperinflation or a austerity measure type situation. In other words, inflation will just continue to rise and rise and rise until it's just completely unsustainable and everything just falls apart. (laughs) Okay. Or we have a situation where we go into austerity measures and Personally, I believe that's probably the more likely one for a number of reasons. But austerity measures is not something, I mean, yes, it will cause economic chaos as far as we're, we know today, but it's not, I believe, something to be far less feared in the long run. In the short term, yes, it's going to create some serious economic upheaval, 
But what it would do, it was would finally force our government, our bureaucracy, our our politicians to actually live within their means. In other words, they would only be able to spend what they brought in. Now, what would that mean? And why I say this is, before I get to that, why I say this is a more likely scenario is that's exactly what happened to Greece about 10 years ago. People who were buying Greece bonds issued by the country of Greece balked, and they said no more, and they forced them into austerity measures. The bankers did it, right? The central banks, the euro, all those, you know, that type of thing. I could see that type of scenario happening here because the Federal Reserve owns a lot of this government debt. In essence, essence, they could force austerity measures by just saying, nope, we're not going to buy the bonds anymore. They're already unloading much of that. Central banks around the world are doing that. And now private investors, sovereign wealth funds, pension funds and stuff are the primary purchasers of bonds. And the reason I shared this on the previous shows, the reason bond prices have gone up dramatically, interest rates, is because previously... Central banks were buying bonds left and right, stocks, bonds, and mortgage-backed securities. They were the largest buyers on the block. When they stopped buying and started selling, the biggest buyer is gone. It's Economics 101, folks. When there's a lot of buyers, prices go up. When there's few buyers, prices go down. It's that simple. Interest rates have gone up because they have to offer a higher interest rate, the governments do, our government included, to get entice people to buy the bond. Or before, they could just, in essence, unload it on central banks because they were just buying everything in sight, right? That's gone. But this issue with the Treasury Secretary and Janet Yellen, I've, this is the only place I've ever se- I've seen anything on it. And I think Stephen Druckenmiller has got a huge point here that is not being addressed anywhere else that I've seen and needs to be and needs to be understood and is another reason why we need to quickly, aggressively reduce spending. And we need to reduce it now. We should have done it yesterday. Uh, the analogy of, uh, I think it's an old Chinese or proverb or whatever, where it says uh, there's two best times to plant a tree. The best time was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Well, the best time to cut government spending would have been 20 years ago. I'm not new to this. I was railing on Bush Jr. spending too much money, folks. And, of course, Obama, Trump, and now Biden have all accelerated that. That's one of the things that they have done. Now, to be fair, terms with Trump, that's one of the mistakes I believe he made. He did not address the government, the debt, but he is addressing it now. And he's so much of a businessman and a problem solver that I think he would handle it differently today than he did when he was in office the last term. I can't say that for sure, but I believe that is likely true. Obama absolutely wanted to spend more. And, of course, Biden is constantly wanting to spend more. That's the sort of a Democratic hallmark. And, again, this goes back to the point I was making, making earlier in the previous segments with a quote from Thomas Jefferson, where he stated a well-informed electorate, electorate is a prerequisite to democracy. He's so right. We have to be well-informed. We have to be well-educated. We need to understand that we are headed towards a financial suicide. Ron DeSantis has said the same thing, and other candidates have said the same thing. This is nothing new. Many, many experts are saying this is unsustainable, okay? This is, this is not me just spreading fear and misinformation, whatever. I'm not, I'm not hyping this. I'm trying to I feel like the town crier, like they said. Uh, Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, has been stating some of the same things. He's in the most dangerous time the world has seen in decades, okay, from an economic standpoint. We're headed towards fiscal insanity. We're headed towards a fiscal cliff. And the biggest issue is government spending. It has to stop. The sooner it stops, the sooner it's reduced, the sooner it's addressed and reduced, the less severe the repercussions will be. The farther we go down the path, if we continue down this path of excess spending, and now the interest is going to start increasing on this debt dramatically because these bonds now being rolled over with higher interest rates that the federal government is going to spend, have to spend on interest, many of these bonds that are getting rolled over, folks, are going to be double and triple the interest that they were just a year or two ago. The government on the new bonds that they're issuing each year, as long as interest rates stay 
somewhat high are going to increase the amount of interest they're going to have to spend each and every year. And the problem is it's sort of a double-edged sword because as the government is spending more on interest on these bonds and paying out these higher interest rate bonds, it further feeds itself. In other words, a a bond that's issued with a lower interest rate, nobody's going to want. They're not going to buy it. They're going to demand the higher interest rate. Folks, higher interest rate bonds means higher interest is going to be with us far longer. I believe in far longer than most people realize, and even longer than I was stating even six months ago, thinking it was going to be. I believe now, with the situation we're in, with the higher interest rates, the higher bond rates, and this increasing debt, the increasing interest on this debt that's going to be paid out, we're going to see a much higher interest rate environment for far, far longer than many, most anyone even realizes. Now, what's the good news? Interest rate sensitive assets are going to thrive. High interest rates, typically bad. I've stated this repeatedly. It's typically bad for the, most companies, the stock market, and real estate. We're seeing the effects of that as we speak. But it's good for interest rate sensitive assets. Bonds, as we've been talking about a lot, bank monies, CDs, those kinds of things, dividend-paying stocks, and dividend-paying high-cash-value insurance policies. Those are going to be your assets that are going to thrive. The advantage that your personal bank high-cash-value policies have over the uh, the other options is high liquidity and income tax-free, which I believe is the other major risk of all this high-interest debt that the government is going to have to start paying. They're going to have to start bringing in more revenues. One of the ways to do that is to raise taxes, isn't it? So that is going to become a more and more major risk. So eliminating your tax liability or reducing it significantly is, I believe, going to become more important as we go forward. Contact me for more information if you want to learn how to navigate and thrive through all this. And as always, listen to the Your Personal Bank Show next week. And as long as it's on our money, in God we trust. Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. This show is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.